growing that is killing me. But praise God, it's growing, huh? Hey, the, I, I mowed my lawn. Well, that's not true. My son mowed my lawn yesterday. So uh, things are coming back around. What a glorious day, huh? Hey, would you join me this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to continue our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, as we begin to take a look at... Uh, at chapter 14, chapter 14 is going to lay out for us the order within the church, the, the order that should be established within the church in regard to spiritual gifts. Pneumaticon is actually the word used. Gifts is not present. It's there to, to help clarify for us. Pneumaticon is the same word we get the word pneumatic from. Like if you were to use an air tool, you apply air to the tool and the tool works. What the scriptures are talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is applying the air or the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives and how that power of the Holy Spirit ought to work through our lives in the assembly when we gather together in worship. We know that the church of Corinth had some problems, had some issues. So Paul's going to deal with those things. And he dealt with them first in chapter 12, laying out for us the, the power of the Spirit and how the power of the Holy Spirit is used or utilized within the life of the believer. But then we came to chapter 13, remember? And he said, yet I'll show you a more excellent way. What's the more excellent way? Love. Love. Remember I told you on the high priest, sewn at the bottom of the high priest's robe, were bells and pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate. The bell is a symbol of the gift. The pomegranate is a fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is... According to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, love. By the way, the word fruit in Galatians 5, 22 is singular, it's not plural. The fruit of the Spirit is love, manifested, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control against which there is no law. So this is the fruit. So in order for the high priest, as he went about his service, he needed the gifts that God gave him in order to, to function, to function in the power of the Spirit. But what did the gifts have to be tempered by? They were tempered by love. Primarily. What did Jesus say? They will know you are my disciples by the gifts you display. By your love one for another. By the love that we have for one another. So, between chapter 12 and chapter 14, two chapters that are going to deal with pneumaticon or the spirituals, spiritual energies by this Holy Spirit given in the life of the believers, he places the fruit, the pomegranate, the love chapter. And we went through that a couple of weeks ago. Now, as we take a look at chapter 14, chapter 14 begins with this phrase. Look at it. Pursue love. Pursue love. Pursue. As, as I was looking at that, I, I thought, you know, that would change. That would change my whole attitude, especially as I was coming up on why I went to church. Well, I, well, there was a time I went to church, you know, just because I had to. And then there was a time I went to church because I wanted to. And there was a time where I was growing in the Lord and I went to church so that I would grow to, to know who he was, what he was about, learn the things of God by coming together and studying the scriptures. So I would do those things. Now I remember when I would come, I would notice whether or not the senior pastor was there. At that time, it was Pastor Gerald, and I was going to church at Joshua Springs. And if Pastor Gerald was on one of his excursions, 
I would stop in the parking lot and be irritated. Oh. I'm going to have to go into church and listen to Merle or Pastor Bob. Oh, I should have stayed home today. There was a good football game on. I could have, I could have watched football. I could have done any number of things. And I would shut myself off to receive what God had for me that day. God is not without a sense of humor. Through time, graduating Bible college, I became Pastor Bob. <laughs> and, and when Pastor Gerald was gone, I could see those guys having the conversation in the parking lot. Hey, do you want to go? It's Jackie. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, God is not without a sense of humor. But what if our attitude for coming to church was what Paul just said, to pursue love? To look for an opportunity to love a brother or a sister. To, to put their needs above our own. To set them uh, apart. I mean, it's kind of cool because we have an opportunity to do that today after church when we gather at the potato bar and we try to do what we can to help out John and Marianne. Uh, you know, that's an opportunity for us to love. Looking for those things. Where is it? How can I express not the twisted love that the world offers, but the love of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Yes. Pursue love. And that word pursue, it doesn't mean just, you know, see what happens. It's talking about actively really looking for an opportunity to love. And then what happens? People will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. In fact, if you hold your finger here in 1 Corinthians 14, look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, listen, it says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. See, in 1 John, John's laying out for us how we can have the understanding, the knowledge, the security in our salvation. What did he say it was? We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We look for those opportunities to pursue love. He who does not love his brother is living in death. That's what he says. He who does not love his brother. Often we talk about things like forgiveness, right? And, and, and the scripture declares to us, God says, if you won't forgive, I won't forgive you. And we think by forgiving, we're making the proclamation that whatever someone did to me was okay. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness means I'm not any longer going to allow that event to control my life. Unforgiveness ruins me, not the person who, who did the wrong. I got to lay it down. I got to accept the truth of what God's word says. I need to love the brethren, love the, the body of believers, the body of Christ. We're not all the same. We come from different places, different things, different attitudes. Maybe some of us are easy to get along with and others aren't. Doesn't matter. The Lord doesn't clarify it. He says, love them, love them. That love of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, the love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, that love that never fails. That's how he calls us to love one another. And when we look at chapter 14, we're going we're gonna to step on lots of toes today because that's what the Lord has ordained for us today. I'll give my phone number afterwards. You can call me. Tell me what you really thought about that. But when we take a look at it, what's he begin with? Pursue 
love. Pursue love. One of the things I always admired about the Calvary Chapel movement is that was always an emphasis. Love. Love. I would be more than happy to be found on that category who said he loved too much or too easily than not enough. So we want to have that attitude. Pursue love. And then listen, with the same kind of emphasis, he says, desire pneumaticon. Desire spiritual gifts. Desire the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The first part, pursue love. That has got, what did he tell us in chapter 13, verse 1? I, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I have not love, it's a bunch of racket. Though I have all faith, and I can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. I have all that power. If I don't have love, profits me nothing. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love and desire the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it doesn't have to be something that we're afraid of. Desiring that empowerment of the Holy Spirit, so often, guys, the Holy Spirit works in our lives supernaturally in the natural we probably all experienced at one time or another, sitting down trying to comfort someone, trying to build someone up and, and just have a verse come to your remembrance. What did the Lord say? When you stand before people, don't worry about what you will, what you will say, what you're going to do. The Holy Spirit will give you remembrance. The scripture says that the disciples were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Hey, this is how God works in our life. We need it. In our flesh, we're we're not ever going to measure up. We'll never measure up. And the battle that we fight is not carnal. It's not a battle fought in our flesh. How is it fought? In the Spirit. Paul would say, for we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There are spiritual issues in our life. And we need to recognize in order to do battle in those spiritual places, we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So we must desire to be empowered by Him. And then he goes on, but especially that you may prophesy. Folks, here's one of the issues we know was a problem in the church of Corinth. And Paul's going to build on this concept throughout this chapter, and that is the abuse or overuse of the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues was being used or abused in the setting in Corinth, and so he is going to emphasize love. Love how? Love so that we edify each other. Not self, each other. So that we have an opportunity for the body corporately to be blessed he's going to tell us that the gift of tongues is for today it has a place in our lives but he's also going to tell us that place is not when we gather together together we want to pursue love especially that you might prophesy that the word of god would change people's lives that's what paul tells us in chapter 14 so we take a look especially that you would prophesy now prophesying folks a lot of people like to teach it that the gift of prophecy is preaching. That's not true. There's a word in the Greek for preaching, and that's not it. But prophecy does occur in preaching. What do you mean? Well, there are times when I'll, I'll share a message. There's a message that I've put together. This is where I'm going to go, but the Spirit will lead me on a tangent somewhere. 
And someone will come up afterwards and, and say, did my wife talk to you? Or were you in the car today? Or there was a word in the message that God intended for you to receive. Folks, when I sat in that parking lot and said, man, I can't get anything from this. I, you know, I should go do something else. If my attitude had been, you know that the Holy Spirit has spoken through a donkey before. That's not good news for preachers, is it? <laughs> there, folks, there's a lot of preachers out there that would be better off having a donkey. However, when the Spirit speaks, He speaks through that message And people are touched by a variety of different points, different parts, different places. And it's all God-ordained, God-breathed. Naturally, the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit, working through uh, a pastor, the Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, someone before they even walked in, standing outside and sharing together. That's all edifying the body. And Paul's emphasis is going to be in that very area. Look what he says. For he who speaks... In a tongue, listen to this, please. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. Let's try that again. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. When we speak in tongues, the scripture is going to tell us it is always praise and giving thanks to the Lord. That's what it is. Defined in the scripture, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. He speaks to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. In the spirit, folks, let me just tell you, I believe in the gift of tongues. I use the gift of tongues. I I use the gift of tongues in a way that I think follows suit with what the scripture lays out in my personal devotional life, in my prayer time and in those services where we have those opportunities particularly sunday night service when we have afterglow those are opportunities for those kind of things to go on but listen he's saying that when that occurs i don't even understand what's going on i'm bypassing my intellect i'm bypassing all that stuff in my life and i'm just trying to glorify the lord without the 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 chains of words because sometimes i just Don't know what else to say. And so, but the body is not edified. The person is. And why did we gather together in an assembly? To edify the body. So Paul's not saying this is wrong. He was laying it out for them. Hey, this is the difference between tongues and prophecy. Tongues edify self. It is not spoken to men, but where? To God. Okay, now he's going to emphasize prophecy. Look. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to who? To men. It's a difference in the use of the gift. One is toward God, one is toward men. In the assembly of the body together, we want to emphasize that which is going to speak to men. And he's going to build on that concept as we continue to go through. Now listen. This is where we get the concept. Within the body, within the assembly, we want to build up, stir up, cheer up. That's what he just said. Well, he said it in New King James English, uh, or NIV English, or New Living Translation English. But this is what edification means. What's edify? To build up. What's ed- exhortation? To stir up. What's comfort? 
to cheer up. That's why the gift of prophecy works in the lives of the believers corporately at the church, in the assembly, to exhort, to encourage, and to cheer up. That's the point. It's not to, it's not in the Old Testament sense, God speaking His judgment. The, the scripture lays out. But he who prophesies, edifies, exhorts, and comforts. Then he goes on. Now he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Do tongues have a purpose? Yes. What is the purpose? It builds up the believer themselves in their devotional or prayer life. It edifies self. It's not bad. It's not bad, but it has a place and it needs to be used in its proper place. What does he say about the gift of prophecy? But he who prophesies edifies who? The church, the body, together. So when we gather together, what's our focus? To bless the body, not to bless myself. To bless the body. So that is where we want to place our focus. So, again, he's telling us the difference. Tongues to God, prophesying to man. Tongues edify the person. Prophecy edifies the body, builds up the body. And then he goes on. Now listen, he says in verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Now that's important to understand. Because what happens is, because of the errors at the Corinthian church, and still a part of the church today, we have two camps, two extremes. One extreme overemphasizes, one extreme underemphasizes. What did Paul say? I wish you all spoke with tongues. It's not evil, bad, nasty, horrible thing. Otherwise, Paul would say, abstain from evil. He says that in other places, doesn't he? But here he says, I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but listen, hear his heart. But even more, that you prophesy. What's the context? In the assembly, in the body, in the church. We come together to prophesy, to speak forth the heart of God. And the heart of God, like I said, comes out through the message. The heart of God comes out through worship. The heart of God comes out as we fellowship. And that's where our focus, that's where we want our focus to be. Now listen, he says, For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Here's one of the rules that Paul's going to build on later on. And it's important that we understand the use of the pronoun. Who was to interpret? The one who spoke. In the assembly. Why is that important? Because later on, Paul's going to say, listen, don't interrupt each other. Don't have all this chaos going on. One at a time. And if you don't have the interpretation, he says, be silent, speak to yourself, and speak to God. That's what Paul says. In the assembly together. So that's how we know whether or not we should be utilizing that corporately together in the assembly at this time. So when we look at that, we want to recognize what Paul is laying out for us. What is his goal? Not that we would have an overemphasis or an underemphasis on the gift of tongues, but rather that we would realize when we come together, what's it for? To pursue love. To be edified by the Word of God. To be exhorted by the Word of God, to be comforted by the Word of God. 
That it's the word of God that's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It's the word of God that is God-breathed, inspired of the Lord. Every word, Jesus said, every jot, every tittle, every space, every part of the word will be fulfilled. And it has power to change us. So we want to stay focused on those times, on that which is going to build up or edify the body. He goes on and gives us some examples in verse 7. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? We have all at one time or another had someone learning an instrument show us something, try to play something for us. Some are more pleasant than others. I have had a few of those unpleasant opportunities myself. Hey, it happens. If I don't put my fingers in the right place, it don't matter whether I knew what the chord was or not, it's not right. And everybody gets that look in their eyes like, why don't he just stop? If you don't, Make a distinction between the sounds. Now, when I was a kid, check it out. I was going, I was visiting a friend in Hollywood, and we went to a punk rock store. Now, that would be in the early days of, of the punk rock scene, like back in the 80, 81, 82, sometime in there. And we went into this punk rock club in the middle of the day, and there were these dudes playing. They, they, they bragged, they boasted that... They didn't play a single chord, nor did they know how to play any of the instruments that they were playing. They just banged on that bass and slapped that guitar around and screamed into the mic. Who was edified? They were. I wasn't. I had no idea what was going on. I was a little scared to be there anyway. So Paul says, this is the example. Hey, when we play an instrument, we make a distinction between the sounds. We don't just, we don't just, you know, we're not just flying off the handle, but look what else he says. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Now, if you served in the military, you know that the bugler makes certain sounds and we know what to do when it happens. If he makes the sound for charge, we're not going to chow. If he makes a sound for reveille, that means it's time to get up. So, but if he just blows it and it doesn't make any kind of sound, we all look at each other. What was that? I don't know. We're not understanding what's taking place. Now, the guy blowing the trumpet, he knows what he's doing. But everybody isn't receiving the same instruction. So he goes on and building on that same concept. So likewise... Unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? I'm always thankful for that phrase, easy to understand. Because occasionally my vocabulary leaves. And you would think that English was my second language. I can't think of what that word was. and um, 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 So I do my best to simplify it in some other term. The scripture lays out when we teach when we speak words simple to understand we can all use them 50 cent 75 cent dollar 50 words but then only three people are going to understand what you said speak with words that are easy to understand he goes on 
So how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. He's saying, keep it relatively simple and keep it relevant. Keep it relevant and simple. For there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Again, emphasizing when we come together corporately in the body, we speak words that are easy to understand so that the body can be edified. Even so you, since you are zealous for pneumaticon, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts or spiritual empowerment, that's not a bad thing. But in their zealousness, they had entered into error. And, And Paul is trying to help them fix it out. He says... Listen, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. The point in a service of the events that occur within a service is that we seek to edify the body. Corporately, the body. And so these are are the ways that we do that. These are the ways that we carry that out. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So Paul's going to give him some guidelines. Okay, so if you guys want to utilize these gifts in your service at the church in Corinth, then the one who has the gift of tongues he wants to share, let him pray that he will have the interpretation. And then Paul's going to give him an opportunity to, to share those things. But if he doesn't have it, then Paul's going to tell him to remain silent. Listen, he says, uh, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit makes groanings that cannot even be understood. There are just times you don't know what to say, you don't know how to pray, and it's a great opportunity in that place to utilize that gift. I don't know what I'm saying, but my Spirit does. It's okay. My Spirit understands what's going on, what's being emphasized, and so he, he wants to build on the idea. But the problem is, nobody else understands. And corporately, that's important. What is the conclusion then? Listen to what Paul said. I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with understanding. I will sing in the Spirit. I will sing with understanding. Paul says there is a place for both. And he says, I will four times. What does that mean? It means he has control on when he will and when he won't. He has control over how that's going to be done. Otherwise, in verse 16, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies occupies a place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? Okay, what did he say? He said it was a giving of thanks. And the place of the uninformed, that phrase uninformed is kind of interesting in the Greek. It means it's like that person who's between an unbeliever and a believer. They're coming, they want to know more, they want to learn, but they're not there yet. That's what that phrase, the uninformed, means, comes to mean. That that person that's seeking but not yet there, how can he say amen with you? How can he say he understands? What's my attitude? Remember, what what guards the purpose behind the utilization of the gifts is that I am pursuing love. Love means I put other people before myself. And so, for the uninformed, for that person seeking, not quite there, not quite understanding, not quite in that place, I want to speak 
pray with understanding. So he can say amen with me. So that he can learn, so that he can be edified. Look what he says. For he says, indeed, you give thanks well, but the other is not edified. When we come together in the body, we, we come together to edify. But then Paul goes on. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. One of the boasts that Corinth had, and this is sometimes a problem in bodies, uh, in the body of Christ today, and that is, in the overemphasis, there's this attitude of, of spirituality. Well, I'm more spiritual because I have this gift. In fact, there are some churches that say the sign of salvation is that you speak with tongues. The Word of God doesn't ever say that. But there are some that put that emphasis. Paul wants the church of Corinth to understand, I, hey, I use a gift, but I use a gift within these guidelines. I use the gift according to order. I use the gift because God is a God of order and there's a place and a time for everything, right? And so in the right place, it's a blessing. In the wrong place, it's a detriment. So we want to focus on that which Paul lays out for us. How ought it to be done? Look, verse 19. But in the church, I would rather speak five words with understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul said, I speak with tongues, but in the church, I don't. In the church, I speak with understanding. I clearly teach a word with words that are easy to understand so that the body together may be edified. And at other times and in other places, Paul spoke in tongues. Where? Can you find one? Can you find a place in the book of Acts, Paul spoke in tongues? No. Any of his epistles? No. Where did he speak in tongues? It's it's never written anywhere. But his emphasis in chapter 14 would indicate that he spoke in tongues in his prayer time, his personal prayer time, in his personal devotion time, edifying self, building self out, connecting with the Lord, being prepared and empowered for the things that he was called to do. That's, That's where Paul's emphasis is and where we see in chapter 14. Now he goes on. He says now in verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding. Hey, we got to grow up. We got to grow up and begin to understand these, these issues. However, in malice, be babes. Malice is in those things, that time when we want to do something that, that upsets someone else or that frustrates someone else, that that we're doing something to, to, with malice, with an attitude of, I don't care what they say or what they want or, he says, no, in, in malice, be babes. Don't let that be a motivation. Don't let malice be your motivation. Let your motivation be the Lord. Pursue love, remember? Not pursue malice. He says, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. And then he says, in the law it is written, when when men of other tongues and other lips... Let me try that again. You know, it's hard to see enough. But when my eyes are watering, it's even harder to see. I don't know if glasses would help that or not. Maybe I get it further away. With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. 
Now, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and is convicted by all. Now, as much as I would like to say, there you go, that's all, let's keep going. I can't do that. Because if you were paying attention while we read those verses, it seems like he said one thing in one place and another in another place. But he doesn't. He doesn't. There are none of those things within the Word of God. The Word of God makes perfect sense. If it doesn't make sense when I look at it, I need to consider what I'm looking at. Here's how we interpret Scripture. There's two possibilities. When we interpret Scripture, we will either exegee or eisegee. Those are the two of those 25-cent words. Exegee means to allow the Scripture to speak for itself and to rightly divide the Word of God according to what the Word of God says. Eisegee means to use my own understanding or my own feelings to interpret the Scripture based on my prejudice. Sometimes we fall in an error where we eisegee something because we don't like what it says. So we'll bring our own opinion into it. But we want the Word of God to tell us what the Word of God means. That phrase where, where Paul lays out for us, with other men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. He's speaking from Isaiah 28. In fact, surprisingly enough, and according to the Holy Spirit, we're studying Isaiah 28 tonight. I love it when that works out like that. But as we take a look at Isaiah 28 here, what is the context of Isaiah 28? He says it's assigned to unbelievers. What unbelievers? Well, in Isaiah 28, the Lord is speaking to the Jewish people that were rejecting the truth of God. And God was saying, if you won't hear the words, the simple words of understanding that I'm giving you, then another country is going to move in, speak in a language you don't understand. And it's a sign of judgment. And in Isaiah 28, that judgment came. God's people refused to hear the word that Isaiah spoke to them. They called it too simple, too easy, like kindergarten speech. I don't know why we should listen to that. That's way too easy. For I'm much more intelligent than that. And so the Lord said, then you're going to be instructed by a language you don't understand. And then he goes on to tell us, therefore, tongues are a sign to the unbeliever. A sign of what? Judgment. Of judgment. If we utilize the gift of tongues corporately in the body, all we do for the uninformed or the unbeliever is speak judgment. They don't understand and they're going to bail. That's what the Lord's saying. They're not going to understand. They're still going to be judged. But we missed an opportunity to speak five words that they would understand. That's where his emphasis is. So he says, listen, when he lays this out for us, it is a sign. But what is that sign? It's a sign of judgment. And it simply shows when they don't understand what's going on that they don't know the things of God and that that's where they're headed, toward judgment. How much better, Paul's going to emphasize... Would it be to utilize the gift of prophecy and speak in a language that they understand so they have an opportunity? We're pursuing love. We want to provide that opportunity. As long as Isaiah 
was with the people that didn't receive the word that God gave. He spoke in words easy to understand. That was Isaiah's emphasis, how he reached out to his own people. And this is what Paul's building on. This is what he's saying. This is what we want to do. He says, now, if the uninformed, remember I told you, uninformed, unbeliever, uninformed is the one that's close. Unbeliever maybe is one that's not. If they come in and everybody is speaking in a tongue, what are they going to say? They're going to say that you are out of your mind. The word in the Greek is many am I. It means literally that you are in a frenzy. Plato used the same word to describe the pagan worship when they would gather together in a pagan uh, a worship of Pan or some other god there, maybe at the, at the uh, Caesarea uh, Tiberius when they come together in that place. And they would all gather and everybody's talking at once and everybody's doing their own thing. He called it madness. Plato used that phrase and this is the same phrase that Paul uses here. It's a frenzy. They can't understand what's going on. It doesn't have a place corporately. And then he goes on. But what about if you prophesy? If all prophesy and an unbeliever, uninformed person come in, he's convinced and convicted. Why? What does the Holy Spirit do in our life? He convinces and he convicts. And how can he convict them? Because you're speaking in words easy to understand. Well, that's Paul's emphasis. Hey, we want to do those things which are easy to understand. So, he says, thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and falling down on his face, he worships God and reports that God is truly among you. When we speak words that we can understand, there is an opportunity for the uninformed and the unbeliever to come to know the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here. Pursue love. Then he goes on and and continues to build on this concept. Now, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Listen, there's two things in this verse. One thing is good. Everybody wanted to be involved. Hey, that's good. The second part, everybody wanted to be involved at the same time. That's not so good. Everybody wanted to share. Everybody wanted their their moment in the sun, their time in the limelight. And and so there was this chaos. And Paul said, listen, we're gathered together to edify one another. If you feel like you have the gift to teach, there's opportunity to teach. If you want an opportunity to to share what the Spirit of God is doing in your life, you got an opportunity on Sunday morning, on Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We have little kids and not enough people to spend time with them teaching them the, the truth of God's Word. And if you think that's not valuable, you're missing the boat. Because it is valuable. Very. They're our future. I know at uh, David Rosales' church, he was having a hard time getting people to work in Sunday school. So he made an announcement in church and he said, If I don't have people to work in Sunday school, next week someone else will be preaching and I'll be doing the Sunday school. His emphasis is, it's an important part of ministry. What does it do for us? I've, I, I've countless people in my 15 years of ministry that came to me and, and at one time or another, oh, Jackie, I really feel like I, I got the gift uh, uh, and I want to be a part of worship. This is where it happened most often. And so I told them the same way I started in worship. Hey, we got a great opportunity for you to help out 
in, in children's worship, always needing help, always needing more people to be a part of that. And then the answer was always, oh, no, no, you don't have anything for Sunday morning? I thought you just wanted to serve the Lord. To me, it shows a desire for limelight and not a desire to worship. If I want to worship, brother, I can worship on a street corner at the curb. I can worship anywhere. If that's where God is directing and calling me, that needs to be the attitude of our heart. So it's good to want to be involved. It's good to, to desire to be a part of all these things, okay? But all things are done for edification. What's right for the body? What's going to help the body out? If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three. And what? Each in turn. And let how many? One interpret. Let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. And let him speak to himself and to God. Is there anything wrong with speaking in tongues to yourself? No. Is there anything wrong with speaking to the Lord in tongues? Something that's not drawing attention to you, but you're just having a moment with the Lord? Folks, that's awesome. It's awesome. But it doesn't have a place disrupting what the Spirit of God is already doing within a service. So, we utilize that for our private devotional life. Now listen, there was one day I'm driving home from work and I'm, and I'm feeling like God's just really telling me, hey Jackie, I, I just want to spend some time with you. It's like two in the morning. And I'm driving home at the time I worked all these crazy hours painting freeways in California. And I'm in the middle of the desert, nobody around, and the Lord's, Jackie, just pull over. And so I just pull over. I'm not in a hurry to get home at two in the morning. There's no rush. And so I... <clears throat> I'm, I'm sitting in my truck, and, and I felt the Lord just impress on my heart. Well, get in the back. Oh, yeah, okay. And I got in the back, and I just was going to spend some time with the Lord. In the middle of the desert, middle of nowhere, not even streetlights, just the stars out real bright in the desert sky, and I'm sitting in the back of my truck. And then I start to pray, and I feel the Lord impress on my heart to lift my hands. Now I'm a little weird. <laughs> lift my hands. Even though it's 2 in the morning, I'm thinking, now what's someone think if they see me sitting on the side of the road, my hands raised up, and they drive by, and here I am in the middle of the desert. Isn't that what we do? We do stuff like that. But I ultimately, I said, um, I think it's pretty safe. I raised my hands, and I just started to pray. And in that place, in the back of a Nissan pickup in Desert Hot Springs at 2 in the morning... God sat with me in the back of that truck. He gave me the gift of tongues. I prayed with him. I, I communed with him like, like never before, not even sure what I said. I know it was praise to God and thanks to God. And it was beautiful. I'll never forget that time, ever. Does it have a purpose? Sure it does. And used in the right place, it helps us grow. But together... When we come together, we want to utilize things that are going to help the body to grow. Listen, he goes on and says, Now let there be two or three prophets that speak. Let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. What did he say? He said, if, if you feel like you are moved by the Spirit to say something, if someone's already talking, shh, until he's quiet. Why? 
The Holy Spirit never interrupts himself. He never does. He may give you a word. That's fine. Share it at the appropriate time. He may give you that opportunity. You're going to share it when you have that opportunity to share that when that opportunity arises. Not to be silent, not to, to not do it, but what? Wait your turn. What was happening to Corinth? Everybody's going, and how can you learn anything that way? You're not. Who's being edified? The, the individuals. What about the uninformed and the unbeliever? They're not. Pursue love. That's our goal. So that's the attitude when we come together corporately. Now he goes on. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophet. That means my spirit in communion with the Holy Spirit still retains control when it is appropriate to share. And Paul expects us to follow that, those guidelines. Not out of control, in control. Spirits of the prophet, subject to the prophet. So, wait your turn. Wait for the opportunity. And at the right opportunity, in accordance with what God's word says, we've, we, we want to follow uh, those opportunities and take those opportunities. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, some people want to look at this and say, well, it's just for the church at Corinth. Uh, sorry. He said, how many? A careful study of the Greek indicates that the word all means all. Yeah, there's no way around it. We may not like it, but it's there. It's there. We have an opportunity to, to see and realize this is a word for us, like it was a word for Corinth, like it is a word for anyone else, any of the churches of the Lord. And then, in the midst of that, we come to verse 34. Now, how many of you guys would like to skip it? I'd like to skip it. Is that okay? No, why? Because we teach the whole counsel of God's word, right? All of it. All of it. We allow God's word to speak because God's word is capable of speaking and listen to what it says here so let your women keep silent in the churches by the way that's plural in the churches Uh, so that's for us too for they are not permitted to speak see I knew there was something we were doing wrong (laughs) I'm kidding I'm I'm gonna get letters about that But they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husband at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Folks, I have heard a hundred different reasons and ideas for what this is talking about. And there are probably as many opinions uh, as you can put together. I prefer... To let the Word of God tell us what the Word of God means. And one of the tools that you can utilize to do that is a book called The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. What does that mean? It means that it will give you all the different places where a phrase is used. And oftentimes when you look it up, wherever else it's used within the Word of God, you will find 
what I believe to be Paul's heart on the issue. Now, there's a lot of things. A lot of people will point to cultural issues. Was it true that the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other side? Yes, that's how they worshiped at that time. Could it be that women were asking questions of their husband on the other side of the room and that was disruptive in the service and Paul saying, let them be quiet? Sure, that's possible. That's possible. But what does God's word say? What does God's word lay out for us? Well, let's, let's take a, a, a hopefully quick <laughs> journey to 1 Timothy. Why don't you turn me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to pick this up, 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. Oh, and then we'll go to 2 Timothy, and then we'll go back to 1 Timothy, and then we'll go back to 1 Corinthians. <laughs> we'll see how that works. Listen, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Do you know that it's scriptural that we lift our hands in worship? Yes. Word of God says, I desire that men everywhere lift up holy hands. But sometimes the fellows say, man, I just, I can't do that. I, I don't know, I can't do that. But you know them same fellows, if I invite them over to my house and we watch football, what do they do when they score a touchdown? Woo! <laughs> right? So apparently it's not the lifting of my hands that's the problem. It's because it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing that God's calling us to. And men, when, when Eve was created, God took something from man. And I think in women we see a, a, a little picture of it, a little a little picture because within women we see an ease, a, a, a desire for spiritual things. It's naturally, we see it more often in women than we see it in men. But what is it like God to do? It's like God to say, now, I made you with this little hole within you, but I want you to still experience spiritual things. So what must we do to do that? I got to submit myself to the Holy Spirit. And allow God to empower me to do what he's calling me to do. That's what God does. And that, we see it in verse 8. Verse 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. What's he saying? Hey, is it about drawing attention to myself? It is about edifying the body. So, he says to the women, be modest. That's the point. Be modest. In verse 10. Uh, but that which, to, to clothe themselves with that which is proper for women, professing godliness with good works. Let all women learn in silence with all submission. There's that phrase again. Same exact word. Let all women learn in silence with all submission. And then I think he emphasized it in verse 12. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. His emphasis is in authority. Now remember when we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he, says, he said, as it says in the law. Where does it say that in the law? Genesis chapter 3, the fall of men. What does it say? That a woman's desire would be for her husband. 
To master him. That's the Hebrew that's used in that phrase. But what? He will rule over her. Why? Because he shirked that responsibility once. And God wants men to stand up. Is this because there's something wrong with women? No. Because there's something wrong with men. All the women are happy now, huh? (laughs) Now I got a whole other group mad at me. Well, let's take a look. (laughs) Lord, have mercy on my soul. Okay, listen, look what he says again. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam had responsibility for his family as every man on the planet Earth has responsibility for the spiritual well-being of his family. Now, whether you use it or not, doesn't matter. Your responsibility. Then he goes on. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. What's he saying? At the fall of man... Adam was not deceived. Eve was. How was Eve deceived? Because of her desire for spiritual things. What did Satan promise her? You will be like God. You'll be more spiritual. So he used that which was a strength for the woman against the woman to cause her to fall. Now that wasn't a problem for Adam. But it was a problem for Eve. Folks, Adam was not deceived. He chose. Adam was not deceived. Eve was. Where was Adam when this was going on? Where was Eve's covering? Where was the one responsible for her? He wasn't there. We don't know where he was. So Adam chose, he made a choice to disobey God that he might in some way be with the woman. But in that choice, he didn't fulfill his responsibility. So what does God say to men? I want you to lead. What does God say to women? I want you to follow. That's what God's laying out. So when he speaks of women learning in silence, the point that he's making is, I don't want women to to be in a position where they are having authority over men. The only place that is in the, the church today is as a senior pastor. Every other place is wide open to women. But in a role of a senior pastor, it's not that place. Why? Because God wants men to stand up and be men. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. That's what he's laying it out for us. Now look at verse 15. Nevertheless, you'll love this. She will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. Now this is not so popular. But I believe this is what God's Word teaches. That women find their fulfillment as moms now it's not the I know it's not popular and really in the church from 1960s forward they stopped teaching that because you know some things were going on and people said well 
Maybe the Word of God only really was for that church at that time. Maybe the Word of God's for us for all time. And what he's laying out for us is that that fulfillment. Now, folks, I'm not trying to lay any guilt trip on nobody. I'm just trying to share what I think the Word of God is saying for itself. That she will find her fulfillment raising her children. I know my wife did. I know not every wife can. But you know what? God will meet you where you are. That's what he does, right? What did Jesus say? I've come to give you beauty for... Why? Because sometimes we turn our life upside down. What does God do with it? He redeems it. This is not about guilt, feeling bad for whatever's happened in the past or any of that. It's just looking at what does God's word say. She will be saved in childbearing if they continue to teach your children the way they will go. Because why? She's spiritually minded. My wife is more spiritually minded than I am. Eve was more spiritually minded than Adam. And women naturally have that tendency. But in that, they also have a weakness. They can be deceived because of that desire. So God says, I want men to lead. Cover his wife. Protect her. So when we go back to 1 Corinthians 14, and in in light of what 1 Timothy said, let's look at it again. So let your women keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak. That concept, speak, is like the idea of presenting a, a message as, in the role of, pastor in the church. For they are to be submissive as the law says. Where did the law say it? Genesis chapter 3. That that's the, the, the role that God gave to men to lead and, and to women to follow. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands. Ladies, you want your husband, all married women who want their husband to be more spiritual. Stop asking your girlfriends what the word means. Stop asking other people what the word means. Start talking about it with your husband. You want your husband to desire spiritual things, to grow, to take a position of leadership, then start involving him. Ask him questions. Doesn't that work? Folks, guys are fixers. You present us with a problem, we want to solve it. Most of the time, you complain about that. Sometimes, that actually works out to be something good. Sometimes that inspires men to take a place of leadership. To, to learn, to grow, to, to try to lead, to try to understand the Word. And so I think that's what he's saying. I think that's what he's laying out for us. Ask your own husband at home, and, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. What's he mean by that? If we look at it in context of 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we look at it as though what the Word of God is saying is teaching, what does that mean? That means there wasn't a man that stood up to do it. And that's a shame. Because she had to do it. Does that have anywhere in Scripture where that takes place? Sure, in the book of Judges. A judge named Deborah. Why did she lead the people? Because the man called to do it wouldn't. So Deborah said, okay, I'll, I'll go. 
And all the glory will fall on a woman that God intended to fall on you because you wouldn't take leadership. God wants us to lead. It's not natural. It's not supposed to be. It causes us to die to ourselves and live for Christ. That's what God wants us to do, and that's what I think He's laying out for us in this section of Scripture. Or did the Word of God come originally from you? He's saying to the church of Corinth, are you guys in charge of what the Word of God says? Or was it only to you that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Folks, if you want to know, test, whether someone is a prophet, whether someone is spiritual, how do you do it? This is how you do it. You line it up with God's Word. If it lines up with God's Word, they're right on. If it don't, they're not. So don't follow. Don't follow. There's a whole group of people that spend their time following people that they think are prophets that have proven to be false prophets and they're basing their eternal salvation on a false prophet. That's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. How does it line up with God's word? This is what Paul's saying here. And then, if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. If anybody doesn't understand what I'm saying, whatever. That's a Jackie paraphrase, by the way. <laughs> but that's the idea. Hey, if they don't want to receive what I have to say, then let them be ignorant. Let them be ignorant. But this is what God's word is teaching. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Listen, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Both have a place. Use them in the right place. And they're a blessing. Let all things be done decently and in order. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray this morning. I know it's a little bit late. Somehow that's Fritz's fault. (laughs) I haven't decided how to work that out yet, but I'm working on it. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that your word is for us today, that I believe it wants to lead us, guide us, direct us according, Father, where we can find our greatest fulfillment in life, where we can recognize what we are made to be. Lord God, I pray that you would enable us to understand, not to fear the pneumaticon or the empowering of the Spirit, For the Spirit of God comes upon us to do the work of God. We don't have to be afraid. Lord, let us desire earnestly, earnestly to to have that empowerment within our life. For you help us to be something more than what we are when you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord God, I also desire that we would pursue our purpose, the point behind what we do is to love. That's what you call us to. That's what you desire in us, Lord God. May that be our focal point, that we desire to love one another the way you're calling us to love one another. Lord God, we lift this time to you and we ask, Lord, that you fill your church, that you equip us to be what you're calling us to be, that we here affect our community, our neighbors, our families, just simply by being in their presence as your witness. And allowing you to do what you wish 
in and through us. Lord God, we ask that you would be glorified and magnified in the way that we propose to be decent and in order. Father, that we would place ourselves in submission to those in authority over us. Ultimately, God, fulfilling your plan for our life. Ultimately, God, finding that deeper purpose. Father, I pray your spirit upon your body that we might move forward from this place and truly love one another. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, we're going to have the...